It had been a long and bitter struggle for the House of York to win the throne of England, but Edward Earl of March managed it. After the failures of his father, Richard Duke of York, there were times when the Yorkist cause must have seemed utterly hopeless. Yet by the mid-1460s, Edward IV ruled the kingdom pretty much unchallenged. Yes, the previous king, Henry VI, was still alive, but he was safely housed in the Tower of London. And yes, there was Henry's own heir, Edward of Westminster, but he was lodged in France with his mother, the embittered former queen, Margaret of Anjou. And besides, in 1464, he was only 11 years old. Edward's willingness to build bridges with former opponents, whilst it had caused him some problems, notably in the case of Henry Beaufort, Duke of Somerset, it also enabled him to gain the support of many ordinary knights and gentry who had once fought for Henry VI. There were a few notable exceptions, such as Jasper Tudor, Earl of Pembroke, but generally Edward had the support of most of the political classes, at least for the time being. If he was successful, he was likely to retain their support. But what did peacetime success actually look like? First and foremost, Edward had to act like a king, an area where his predecessor was seriously deficient. Edward had the advantage of charm and good looks, plus his abilities as a warrior. He looked like a king ought to look, which was in itself reassuring for his subjects. But he was still an unknown quantity. Could he rule more effectively than Henry VI, or was he just good at winning battles? Top of the list of royal priorities was to restore the rule of law after a long period of disorder. Moreover, Edward had to be seen giving judgments and putting an end to some of the baronial feuds which had fuelled much of that lawlessness in the 1450s. The prosperity of the kingdom and the king himself would depend on trade and commerce, which could only flourish in a peaceful environment. Though we should not imagine that the Wars of the Roses caused the sort of major disruption to trade that some would have us believe. England was not exactly devastated by the Wars of the Roses. Throughout the crisis of 1459-64, to 64, for many folk in England, and for most of the time, life went on as usual. In the areas where much of the fighting and movement of armies occurred, that was clearly not the case. But elsewhere, England was not a burning land, laid waste by war. One or two places were very badly affected, such as Ludlow, and it would be many years before the town recovered from its sacking by Lancastrian soldiers in 1459. But generally, life went on. Let's put it in perspective. An exceptionally harsh winter, or relentless summer rains, would have had far more impact on most local communities than the Wars of the Roses. Having said that, there was some rebuilding to do in many respects, and most people wanted to be left alone to get on with their lives. One thing they did not want was more taxes. That had been a constant source of complaint during Henry's reign, especially when the king's government 
seemed to be wasting its resources. Yet Edward had spent a great deal in the early years of his reign when he was trying to stamp out the last embers of Lancastrian resistance. Thus he asked Parliament for taxes to pay for his campaigns, but a pragmatist like Edward was often prepared to divert the money for other pressing needs. Such behaviour did not win him many friends amongst taxpayers. Aside from restoring what folk tended to call good government, Edward needed to cement Yorkist control of the throne for the future. What does that mean? Well, he was unmarried. He needed sons and he needed them quickly because the House of Lancaster already had an 11-year-old male heir waiting in France. If a sudden accident or illness should strike Edward down, the country would be plunged into chaos once more. The Yorkist heir presumptive was Edward's younger brother, George, Duke of Clarence, but he was only 15. So Edward needed a quick marriage and a period of stability so that he could establish himself. Well, as it turned out, he didn't get it. What happened in the second half of the 1460s demonstrates how fragile the new Yorkist regime actually was and how much it depended on several key, powerful individuals. This dependence on such men was a situation Edward was stuck with for the time being. Though his success had been achieved very much by his own efforts, he had relied heavily upon the energy and resources of a few close supporters. Foremost amongst this happy band was Richard Neville, Earl of Warwick, who had been directly involved in the ongoing political struggle since the early 1450s. History has awarded Warwick the wholly undeserved nickname of Kingmaker, and he is still frequently referred to by that name, but more of that later. As you will know, there were other men upon whom Edward relied, including several of Warwick's relatives. His brother John Neville, Lord Montague, and his uncle William Neville, Lord Falkenberg. Others included John Howard, a growing presence in East Anglia, who played a critical role at Towton, and William Hastings, Edward's closest friend and ally. Vital to Edward's success as king was to retain the continued support of all these men until he could establish a wider base of support. As I said, the king's marriage was vital, and everyone urged him to marry as soon as possible. But then courtiers always do, because they are on top of the pile and they'd quite like to stay there. Well, Edward gave them a marriage all right in 1464, but it was rather a case of be careful what you wish for. As Star Trek's Spock might have said, it's a royal marriage, Jim, but not as we know it. What then was the problem with his marriage? Well, where do I start? Traditionally, the marriage convention was that you married for your family's advancement, whether by means of a likely inheritance, or increased political influence, or simply wealth. Warwick himself had pulled off the most spectacular marriage of the century, which gave him the landed wealth and power that we talk about so often. If anyone knew the importance of a great marriage, it was Warwick. For kings, marriages were usually to foreign princesses, who might bring with them 
an alliance, and a handsome dowry. Marrying a foreigner also prevented the king from raising up one of the English noble families to royal status. In summary, there were two things wrong with Edward's marriage. He married the wrong girl, and he married her in secret. Edward, both before and after his marriage, was not exactly the most chaste individual on the planet. He had several mistresses, and more than likely quite a few one-night stands. Not only was he serially attracted to women, but it appears that they were attracted to him too, long before he wielded the power of a king. There are two ways of looking at this. On the one hand, he might be seen as a dissolute stalker of women, careless of whether or not they were married, and some historians, especially during the Victorian period, took that view to a lesser or greater extent. His kingship was lumped together with his licentious morality, and he was thus branded a failure. I don't share that view. There is no evidence at all that he ever forced a woman to his bed, and, judged by the morality of his time, which in my view is the only yardstick against which he can be judged, he was hardly the only powerful man to have mistresses. When Edward announced his marriage to the world at Reading in September 1464, it caused ripples of shock through the court, the country and even on the continent. So who was she and what was wrong with her? Elizabeth Grey, nay Woodville, was probably about 26 years old when she married Edward. He was 22. She was a widow, her husband, Sir John Grey, a Lancastrian, having been killed at the Second Battle of St Albans in 1461. She was not of noble, let alone royal, birth, because though her mother, Jaquetta of Luxembourg, was of good lineage, her father, Richard Woodville, was a mere gentleman. From the perspective of men like Warwick, the King's marriage to Elizabeth Woodville was incomprehensible, because she brought nothing to the marriage but problems. So why did Edward marry her? Well, we are told that it was the oldest story in the book. He was in love. We are told that he was so smitten by her beauty that he had to have her. And since, it is alleged, he was not going to get her unless he married her, he took the plunge, albeit in a secret ceremony attended by her mother, a priest and precious few others. The fact that the king married in secret tells us, I think, that he knew the marriage would not go down well at court. Did he think that he might be able to wriggle out of this clandestine liaison later, once he had had his wicked way with Elizabeth? We don't know. In fact, there's a lot we don't know about the marriage, even the date. We are told that he married on the 1st of May, though it could easily have been months later. If it was in August, for example, then keeping it secret for a few weeks does not seem quite so sinister as four or five months. Since the details are obscured by the same great black hole in historical evidence, that afflicts numerous other interesting events in the 15th century, we'll probably never know. The marriage raised to prominence the entire Woodville family. Elizabeth came with two sons from her first marriage, a great many brothers and sisters, 
oh, and two rather pushy parents. So Edward was not marrying just one leading lady. He was taking on a whole cast. There were suddenly a number of important courtiers to promote and find wives for, and there were many sisters to find suitable marriages for. A sister-in-law of the king couldn't just marry anyone, though of course Edward had. Marriages, as I've said, were very important to the nobility, especially to Warwick, who had no sons but two daughters, who as the co-heirs to his vast inheritance had to be found suitable husbands. The arrival of the Woodvilles saturated the marriage market. But the king also had two brothers of his own, George Duke of Clarence and Richard Duke of Gloucester. Surely the marriage of at least one of those dukes to a daughter of Warwick would do very nicely. Warwick thought so, but Edward refused to allow such a match, much to Warwick's fury. The marriage of Warwick's daughters was not his only concern, for despite his meteoric success, the Earl was not a happy man. His position under Edward IV was not as influential as he would have wished, and his dissatisfaction, as well as his overinflated opinion of his worth, was soon to bring an end to Edward's all too short period of stability. This being the Wars of the Roses, one thing led to another, and very suddenly the Yorkist House of Cards fell down. <laughs>